The Historian's Podcast continues on the internet because of listeners like you who click on the GoFundMe link on our website to make a contribution. The website is bobcudmore.com. Ben Kemp, Operations Manager at Grant Cottage here, and we're very excited to have our bicentennial season here in 2022. Ulysses S. Grant, born in 1822, and uh, we're celebrating with a number of different uh, events this year. So we're excited to have people uh, interested in Ulysses S. Grant, and we expect uh, many more to be interested because of this bicentennial. Everybody loves an anniversary. So we are on Mount McGregor in uh, Wilton, New York, and it was the uh, final home. The Grant Cottage itself is a historic site that was the final home of Civil War General and two-term president Ulysses S. Grant. And so it's a uh, now just recently, as of um, 2021, a National Historic Landmark. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We do welcome Ben Kemp, Operations Manager of Grant Cottage in Wilton. 200 years ago, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was born. Uh, let me get, get egg on my face right at the start here. Was he born in Ohio? Yes, uh, Grant was born in a small community called Point Pleasant in uh, very, very uh, south. Uh, western Ohio, uh, just about an hour uh, southeast of Cincinnati. A uh, very, very small community and remains uh, a very small community even today. Again, Ron Chernow, I think is how you say it, the man who wrote about Alexander Hamilton, has also written about uh, Ulysses Grant. Is, is that true, too? Yes, it, the uh, Chernow's biography is arguably the most popular biography written in, uh, I would say, the last uh, two decades or more as far as book sales are concerned. And it's also generated an incredible amount of interest in the man himself uh, and, and has spurred people to learn more uh, about the man than, than just his military career um, mm. and a little bit more about his, his political career, uh, his world travels, uh, and his personal life. I would say that it, it seems among whoever, you know, maybe people in the history community or historians, that Grant had a bad reputation, had a great reputation as a general, but a bad reputation as a politician. But it seems like his politician ranking has even gone up lately. Yes, I mean Grant, like almost any uh, historic figure, uh, famous historic figure, uh, you know, is is subject to, you know, generalizations and and, and misinterpretations of his life, and and certainly uh, uh, Grant is one that's very overgeneralized, especially when it comes to his political career, and and that was just accepted for many years. Let's say the negative aspects of his political career were um, highlighted, and then the uh, positive effect of his political career was minimized uh, by historians uh, for, for, for many years. And so just, you know, recently in, uh, in the last 20 years or so, uh, more materials have come to light, but also just a reevaluation of his time in office uh, has really uh, shined a, a much better light and given people a better perspective on just how much uh, that Ulysses S. Grant actually uh, accomplished, um, you know, in a positive sense for our nation. And the one thing that comes through to me, and, and maybe I'm off base, is that Grant, within maybe some limits, was trying to do what he could 
for African Americans and in getting them to be in a position where they could be regular members of American society. And it was after he left office uh, that things kind of went downhill. Grant was even swimming against the tide, you know, as far as uh, what the nation, what the society itself was willing to accept and willing to, uh, you know, push forward uh, as far as civil rights are concerned, uh, protections for African Americans. So it was a major transition for the country right after a massive traumatic event. You know, the, the idea of, of the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments, uh, civil rights, freedom, uh, all that uh, was a major adjustment for the American uh, populace. And, uh, and, and so I think that Grant was in a position that was very difficult to begin with. Uh, and he did everything he could to at least uh, try to stem the, the political violence and, and the racial violence that occurred uh, during those years after the Civil War. And, and he, could, uh, he started to lose uh, his ability to, to even um, protect the African Americans towards the end of his term because of the political climate and, and of course, uh, in the last midterms, he, you know, they lost uh, Congress, the Republicans. He was a Republican, and and so he really, um, and and between that and public sentiment, he he just he just could not. Um, uh, there wasn't as much that he could do towards the end of his term, and then of course, uh, there was the uh, contested election uh, of of eighteen seventy six and seventy seven that that uh, was a major. Um, issue and, and really was the impetus to rolling back the clock on, sadly, on, on, on uh, African-American rights and civil rights in general. Who was it that succeeded Grant as president? Rutherford B. Hayes. And that was the, uh, there is a book that has ju- uh, just come out that uh, focuses on that to some extent and how important that was in that, that transition between what is known as the area era of reconstruction following um the Civil War, and then um, you know the era where, well, the Jim Crow era, more or less, where where uh, African American rights are are are, are threatened again and and and, uh, and uh, are not protected, uh, and so that that was a major uh, kind of watershed moment, and and it was a compromise. Uh, there was a very volatile time. Most people don't know that how volatile that was. There was there was threats of insurrection, uh, you know, at that time. And so the, the um, you know, that's uh, a new book. I'm trying to think of the title now, but uh, Brett Baer uh, uh, has that new uh, title out, mm-hmm. and it deals with that. You know, it deals with Grant as in, a, in a biographical sense, you'll suggest Grant, but also uh, specifically kind of highlights uh, some parallels between that era where there was, you know, a lot of uh, some insurrectionist um, sentiment and, and obviously uh, more modern events. Ben Kemp is with us. He's operations manager of Grant Cottage in Wilton. Uh, let's let me ask you about the story of uh, Grant Cottage. We've heard ab- about this uh, story before. In fact, Ben Kemp was a, a guest with us once when we both were at the Chronicle Book Fair up in uh, uh, Glens Falls, and we've talked with Tim Welch a couple of times, who's the uh, president of the board, I believe, at the Grant Cottage. Um, how did the Grant Cottage come to be the place where his life ended? It's an it's a rather interesting story in the sense that Ulysses S. Grant and his family never owned the cottage um, on Mount McGregor, um, just north of Saratoga Springs, New York. They 
lived in New York City towards the end of Grant's life, and they had a summer home in Long Branch, New Jersey. The cottage was offered to General Grant. He had sadly lost all his money in a Wall Street scandal, and he was battling terminal throat cancer. And he was trying to recoup the money, uh, his lost money, for his family by writing his memoirs. He's been sick for months and months, and the doctors know he's getting weaker, and his only chance to survive is to get out of the heat of New York City. And so they are looking for places, and there is an offer uh, of a cottage on Mount McGregor, uh, which can be reached by train from all the way from New York City. And so it was a way to get the patient uh, to a better climate and uh, give him a chance to live just a bit longer uh, to be able to put the finishing touches on his memoirs. And so he came here uh, to Mount McGregor in June of uh, 1885, and he uh, lived uh, with his family at the cottage for five and a half weeks uh, before succumbing. Uh, to the uh, throat cancer. I didn't realize it was that short a period of time, five and a half weeks he lived there. Yes, he was already living on borrowed time. Uh, He had already had near-death episodes in New York, uh, and the doctors were frankly surprised that he was still alive. Uh, He was really willing himself to live uh, in the final weeks uh, to finish that book for his family. Uh, There was an intense drive in him to to make sure his family was taken care of before he died. Uh, and that certainly showed in the fact that when they placed him in his coffin, sadly, uh, he was under 100 pounds. Uh, so the mm. man was really living on willpower. Um, you know, and as most people know, he was a very, uh, had a very strong will um, and was a very persistent man. And uh, he per- persevered in, in many different endeavors throughout his life. I got uh, the impression, is it true, that Mark Twain uh, bankrolled this final chapter for General Grant. Yes, uh, Grant, you know, Ulysses S. Grant and Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain, uh, were, were friends. They, they struck up a friendship towards the end of Grant's life, and Twain uh, had gotten kind of tired of, of dealing with publishers himself as an author, so he started his own publishing firm uh, run by his nephew-in-law, Charles Webster. And so he's going to uh, find out about Grant writing his book and his friend Grant, of course, and and, uh, wants to help uh, uh, Grant in any way he can. And and so he offers Grant, uh, um, he he offers to publish Grant's memoirs in in a way that he'll, you know, that Grant will, he can make sure that Grant gets what he he should receive uh, as far as uh, profits from the books. He knows, you know, Grant's family desperately needs the money as well, wants to help them. And so this becomes, you know, a, both a professional and a personal relationship uh, between uh, Twain and Grant at the end. And, and he's going to encourage uh, this new author. Grant was not an accomplished author, of course. And, and Grant is dealing with, you know, um, you know severe pain and, and medications. And he's trying to uh, basically put together what will end up being a 1,200-page manuscript. So Twain, having Twain there to encourage him, uh, and, and as you said, to bankroll it, he, you know, Twain had just, Twain had just uh, published Huckleberry Finn, so he he had a bit of a, a, a income to to put forth into this massive book effort. They knew right going into it, it would be a massive um, you know effort and a, and a massive publishing effort because of the amount of sales they expected, and and it did come true. Uh, Twain would uh, um, have the book sold door to door, and and even before Grant died, Twain was able to tell him at Grant Cottage 
that uh, his book was going to be a success, that he had already pre-sold 100,000 copies and he expected to, uh, the sales to go above 300,000. So uh, at least Grant knew, you know, uh, going to his grave that his family would be taken care of. So there's, there's you know, a tragedy uh, in the story, but there's also a triumph as well. There are so many uh, different aspects to the the story of uh, Grant's Cottage. Um, your organization of the Grant Cottage uh, puts out a newsletter, a very nice newsletter called Chronicles. And I read an article in there about Grant's stenographer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, Noble Dawson is an interesting character. He was uh, born in the West and um, and actually uh, served in in the Civil War. In fact, he was a he was a, a prisoner of war in a, in a Texas uh, prisoner of war camp. A fellow veteran, and Grant wouldn't have known him in the war, but later on in their life, their paths crossed in a professional sense. You know, Grant had uh, some business uh, dealings and and took a trip uh, to Mexico. And uh, Dawson accompanied him as his uh, basically professional, um, you know, secretary, and uh, and so they already had a connection uh, from previous years. And then when Grant was very ill, you know, another connection was made. He was brought in as a stenographer on the book project, and so he's going to be taking dictation from Grant uh, when he grows weaker, and just to make the the process go go faster. Uh, for a sick and dying man, so he's he's going to play a major role in the um, you know dictation uh, uh, or taking the dictation, the, s- the stenography, and then also in the editing of the of the book as well. So he was a member of the team starting in April of 1885, all the way till Grant's death on Mount McGregor in July. And so Dawson actually accompanied the family and stayed on Mount McGregor uh, with the with the family uh, with the team, uh, you know, the editing team to make sure this book. Uh, reached its conclusion, and uh, and and so uh, a very interesting figure, um, and we interpret his you know his involvement in in uh, in the cottage. We we re- we re- we acquired a period typewriter, uh, which is the type that uh, Mr. Dawson would have used, um, mm-hmm. and we, that's been uh, that's been um, placed uh, within the cottage uh, as as a exhibit item. So. Uh, we're very excited to have that and, and, and to tell Mr. Dawson's story uh, because, of course, uh, it takes more than one man to to uh, publish a book, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And also you've done some work, and I believe you're talking this season of uh, tourist visits to the Grant Cottage about uh, Grant's relationship with Thomas Nast, the cartoonist, a political a cartoonist. How did they get to know each other? Yeah, it's a very interesting story how their fates were intertwined. Ulysses S. Grant, you know, became a, a, a hero to Thomas Nast, who was an immigrant uh, child, a child immigrant from from Germany, and he grew up in New York City. And he was a knew he wanted to be an artist from an early age, and eventually got into um, illustrations and. It was only towards the end of the Civil War that Thomas Nast would start to um, come into his own as what he is known for, which is a famous political cartoonist. And so he's going to basically start, you know, using Grant as a subject and seeing Grant, you know, portraying Grant in a very positive light. But it really doesn't start to come out um, strongly until Grant's 1868 campaign for president. 
And that's when NASA is really going to step in and, you know, play a major role in, in helping get Grant elected through uh, political cartoons, mostly attacking his enemies, uh, I should say his political enemies. And, um, and so, you know, that was a major part of it uh, because, of course, cartoons, they speak to individuals that may be uh, illiterate as well. So they, they really speak to a wider swath of the American populace at that time. And, and so, tw- you know, NAST, uh, uh, after the second campaign for president, NAST really starts a, a very uh, personal relationship with General Grant. They, uh, he's invited to the White House uh, numerous occasions during his visit to Washington, D.C. He has dinner with the family. He has uh, long conversations with Grant. And they become, uh, you know, very personal friends. Uh, and, and that lasts uh, to the very end. Sadly, uh, Thomas Nast uh, would also invest uh, a, a large portion, almost all his savings, in, in the same Wall Street firm uh, that Grant was involved with uh, that un- unfortunately um, fell to scandal. And so mm. Nast also lost his money at the same time Grant did. Uh, they both they interestingly enough, their careers both took off at the same time during the Civil War. And then they both um, f- fell to to the scandal uh, around the same time in 1884. And so Nash never really recovered. Uh, he lived until 1902, but he never really recovered from that um, from the same scandal that uh, that broke uh, Ulysses hmm. S. Grant financially. Um, but again, Nast is, is, is a, you know, a very famous figure along with Grant, probably not as famous as he should be, but Grant Nast was a fascinating figure um, and uh, really uh, brought political cartoons uh, into uh, the mainstream. We're talking with Ben Camp, operations manager of Grant Cottage in Wilton. So this is the 200th anniversary of the birth of Ulysses S. Grant, and there, there have been some new developments, I guess you'd say, at uh, Grant Cottage. Uh, tell, tell us about what's going on at the uh, cottage uh, later in the summer, and especially you have a big event coming up in the fall. But when's the when is the cottage open, or how, how do you get to visit there? Grant Cottage is open seasonally, May through October, and we are open weekends uh, prior to Memorial Day, and then after Labor Day, we're back to Friday through Sunday weekends. Again, we do have other arrangements can be made for group tours and private tours on days we don't normally operate. So you can always uh, look at our uh, full schedule on uh, grantcottage.org. You can purchase tickets there. We, we host uh, 12 uh, standard tours a day uh, of the house, uh, half-hour tours. Uh, we have some wonderful exhibits. Uh, the site itself is open 9.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. Uh, there are things to see on the grounds. Uh, there is a free cell phone audio tour of the grounds. Uh, that gives you some more background history of what Mount McGregor was like in the 1880s. It was a Victorian resort, so there's much to learn there. Uh, and then, of course, the guided house tour itself is, is, is very special because of how um, well-preserved the, the interior of the cottage is. So it was left as a memorial 137 years ago, and people have been coming through uh, that space ever since. Uh, so it's a really interesting state of preservation and uh, and so we have uh, the 200th anniversary. We are recognizing that with uh, a number of events this season. Uh, but uh, our at the end of our season, uh, October 16th, uh, we will be having a uh, 
Bicentennial Gala, which will be held off-site down at the uh, Gideon Putnam uh, in Saratoga uh, Springs, uh, Saratoga Spa State Park. And, uh, and mm-hmm. so we're very excited to have some, uh, um, you know, some uh, uh, big-name individuals involved with that, um, and, and we'll be speaking at that. Um, and so we are um, – there will be more information uh, coming out shortly about that on our uh, website uh, as well. Uh, um, so, the, mm-hmm. so the Bicentennial Gala will be a kickoff for uh, what is our fundraising campaign for a very exciting – uh, future uh, site uh, expansion project that we have in the works right now, a very uh, ambitious but but uh, we believe very doable uh, expansion project which will help the site be able to handle the number of visitors that want to come and uh, for for both uh, daily visits and for programs. So we want to we just uh, it was a basically a, a major birthday gift to Grant. We had a ceremony on April 27th on Grant's actual. 200th birthday, and at that ceremony, the New York State Parks uh, Recreation and Historic Preservation official uh, uh, formally announced that uh, four acres of land that we had been requesting for about eight years uh, since our neighbor, a former correctional facility, closed here on the mountain. Uh, we've been asking mm-hmm. for about four acres of land to be able to expand into, and it's very crucial for our expansion. And so they announced uh, as essentially a birthday gift for General Grant. <laughs> Uh, this this uh, transfer of this land to the uh, parks to the historic site. So we're very excited to be able to use that land. It's got a uh, we'll have a beautiful uh, viewing deck, and uh, we're looking to put up a, a very um, state of the art uh, programming pavilion, um, and so and, and some additional parking. So it's really going to help the site mm-hmm. uh, reach its full potential. What is the cottage? Is it a, a federal or state historic site, or or what is it? The story of the cottage uh, after Grant's death is actually fascinating. There's actually a book we sell just on how the place was cared for for 137 years. It's just it's just a fascinating uh, part of the history of the cottage uh, outside of just Grant's time there. So, you know, immediately uh, there was a scramble for someone to take care of it after Grant's death. It was left as a memorial, and the family left it that way, uh, and uh, and people started coming immediately. But obviously someone had to take care of the property, so... Uh, they had live-in caretakers uh, all the way from the 1890s to the 1980s, uh, and so people lived upstairs in an apartment and they cared for the for the uh, historic site. Um, when the last caretaker passed away in the 1980s, that's when our organization, the Friends of Grant Cottage, joined up. Uh, by that time, the the cottage had transferred into uh, to the New York State Parks and Historic Preservation Department, and uh, and so we we made an agreement uh, to keep the place open to the public, to keep it from closing, that we would operate the site. So we have a cooperative agreement with the New York State Parks. So this remains the New York State historic site uh, for the state of New York. But uh, last year we did receive National Historic Landmark designation. That does not make us a federal uh, site. Uh, that, that's, uh, that, would be called a New York, that would be called a National Historic Site is what that would be called. But we're, we, it does give us federal recognition. Um, and uh, but we still remain a state site with with federal recognition. Uh, so we're we're excited, uh, you know, to to receive that recognition, and it does open us up to, uh, you know, federal protections and federal um, some federal funding as well. So so we are excited that uh, you know it's been it's been seen as that uh, as as having national significance, 
and 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 by the National Park Service. So, um, you know, that's that was a huge step uh, for us, um, something we had wanted for for decades uh, um, of running this place. So, we have a wonderful we have a small staff and a wonderful group of volunteers, and of course, we're always looking for more volunteers to help up here. So, if it's something that someone's interested in, you can go to our website, and and, and there's a volunteer application you can fill out. We you know, there's there's a number of opportunities for volunteers up here as well within our organization. One thing, uh, and I guess it jumps ahead, you know, after Grant passed away, you know, the book is finished, it's published, and uh, is a bestseller, I guess you'd say. But what is it like? Does anybody read it today? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and Grant, you know, modest as he ever was, he you know, he wondered if anybody would even book, buy his book or, or if he would be a good writer. Uh, in the end, it ended up being coming an incredible bestseller, as I mentioned. It was 300,000, over 300,000 copies sold in its first run and, uh, and, and, you know, brought in, you know, a fortune to the family. Uh, so he, he did what he set out to do. Uh, but the book would remain, uh, you know, a, a mainstay of, of Civil War, uh, you know, source history. And it remains so today. It's never been out of print in 137 years. It's now in the public domain, but uh, you know there's no royalties to, to any descendants anymore. But there's, uh, but the uh, idea that it's still in print and, and still recommended reading for for um, West Point cadets, and you know it's it's still uh, it's still a very very um, popular and well-read uh, memoir. And some you know have said that it's the best memoir by an ex-president. Um, so. You know, I, it certainly does still get a lot of accolades. And, and again, to I think when people understand what Grant went through while he was writing it, they respect the writing that much more. And the fact mm. that he wasn't a accomplished author uh, by that point in his life. So so that he, what, he was able to create what he did, this narrative of, of mostly the Civil War. It, you know, it just it just blows people away. They, that's why a lot of people have these false uh, myths uh, that, that get passed around that, you know, Mark Twain wrote it for him or, or somebody else on his staff wrote it for him or ghost wrote it, because how could he? The reality is that his original manuscript is in the Library of Congress, so, so it's, there's, there's proof positive there that, that he, he was the original writer. Um, I mean, we have a photograph of Grant literally working on the memoirs, sitting on the cottage porch only weeks before his death. I don't think he's going to stage that photo just to make people think he wrote his book uh, up here. So, you know, we, 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 you know we, I believe uh, fully that Grant was the... Uh, the sole author obviously needed editing, but the, the sole author of the book. What were the circumstances of his death? I mean, who was there? I mean, you said his family lived there. I mean, his wife was still alive, right? Or lived, uh, outlived her husband. And that's really the core of our story. The, the family being there is so important. I mean, even his, his one daughter that had moved to England came back, Nellie, and, and she spent the final months with her father. And they all came up here to Grant Cottage. You have four children. You have Julia, his wife. You even have some of the grandchildren spending time here uh, at Grant Cottage. So he was surrounded by family. And, and that, was a, that was a focus of his life throughout his life, was, was supporting his family and them supporting him. It was a very tight-knit uh, and supportive family, and and we see that in the, in the final days here. Uh, you know, they always say, you know, behind any great person is you know is a great uh, support structure, you know, a great family. Um, and and you know that's that's that was true for Grant. You know, they they really um, he had this, the 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 stalwart support of his family here at the end, um, and and that helped bolster him and, and, and helped him finish in his final endeavor here. Um, his death uh, came. Uh, rather peacefully on, on uh, 
the morning of July 23rd, 1885. He had been here about five and a half weeks at the cottage, and uh, his family was able to surround him uh, and be with him in those final moments. And so that, you know, again, that, that really meant everything to, to him. I, I think it would have been a different story if he had to struggle uh, on his own uh, without his family uh, present. It would have been a whole different story for Grant. He never liked to be separated from his family uh, throughout his life. That was his happiest time is to be with his family members. And so at least he had that comfort and that support right at the end. Ben Kemp is operations manager of Grant Cottage in Wilton. You can find them online for a visitation of the of the cottage in Wilton, New York, near Saratoga Springs. Uh, and there are different events taking place this year for the 200th anniversary of the birth of Ulysses S. Grant. Please help us keep the Historian's Podcast going with a donation to our 2022 Fund Drive. You can donate via GoFundMe. You'll find that link on our website, bobcudmore.com. And thank you very much. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.